The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Hey, welcome, 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 pet lovers. Big announcement before we get started. We have added to the Pet Buzz family new affiliate WBRTAM at 1320 AM in Bardstown, Kentucky, will be joining us each week. We welcome their listeners and encourage y'all to post pictures of your pets on our social media channels and send us your pet questions and comments. So welcome Bardstown just in time for the 149th Kentucky Derby. Yippee! Right, Dr. Fleck? Very much so. Yes. So excited to have that new affiliate listeners. new That's listeners and an upstate that we love so very much so we're so happy to have y'all join us visit every year so you know it's really interesting to see all the things that are going on right now and you and i you and i always talk about this we talk about the things that are the good things and the bad things that are happening and we know that crime is up unfortunately but i read about this story um that i thought was really apropos for the show you know thank goodness for the sakes that we have these dogs so This story that I'm going to recant is from the Hartford Current, which is the big paper in Hartford, Connecticut. So a man right now faces burglary and other charges after a Gladbury resident was woken up by her barking dog early Sunday morning to find an intruder in her home. So imagine lying in bed, waking up and then hearing something in your house, not outside, but inside. So. The police department there said that the woman locked herself in her bedroom and called 911 a little after a minute. I think that was the smartest thing she could have done. Didn't confront the guy, didn't pull out her gun, locked herself in the bedroom and called 911. I mean, that's what you should do, right? So the suspect was later identified and was gone by the time the police arrived. So according to the police, the suspect was arrested after the police officers from her town and the Connecticut State Police Canine Unit located him in the area where her house was burglarized. What was so interesting that by the time the police arrived, the suspect was gone from her home, but he was still in the immediate area. And of course, he had the loot, not only from her house, but also from her car. A lot of times when these cases happen, people have already cased the house, cased the neighborhood. They know who lives in the neighborhood. So this guy who's just 28 years old, he faces first degree burglary, third degree burglary, fifth degree larceny, sixth degree larceny, and is held on a $100,000 bond following his arrest. I mean, only 28 years old. All I can say is I'm glad this older gal woke up, locked herself in her bedroom. And like I said, didn't confront the suspect. And she really has that dog to bark. Now, we don't really know where the dog was in her house. 
We don't even really know if it was a neighbor's dog, but it's really a good idea, I think, if your dog barks in the middle of the night to get up, look out the window and make sure you know what's going on. Well, especially like you said, your dog sleeps so hard, they don't bark at all. But if they happen to be barking, you have to recognize that there's maybe something serious in your home. You know, it's true because on one side of my house, on the side that I sleep, which is the east side of the house, um, on the east side, other than the cameras in the front of the house on the east side, right by the gate, there is a motion detector light. Okay. There's one in front of directly in front of the gate. Then when you go through the gate, a motion detector and then a floodlight, and then the camera kicks on, they're all connected. But if those dogs are barking really loudly, that light will come on and it literally shines on both of them almost shine right into my bedroom. So I will always wake up. And a lot of times with the dogs next door, there are three of them. They're kind of pit bullish. So I always wake up and I always double check the cameras. I try not to open the door because I don't want anyone to know I'm home. But well, so why don't you go over uh, the show specifics? What are we talking about this week on the Pet Buzz? <laughs> this week on the Pet Buzz, we are talking about five dog moms whose lives have been transformed by pets. The Human Animal Bond Research Institute's Steve Fellman about pet friendly housing initiatives senior pet health and an independent survey asked more than 500 pet owners how they've been impacted by Colorado's severe veterinary workforce shortage. And this is something you and I talk about all the time. I live it all the time. I mean, right. Cause you can't even find a vet. So our net to work with you. I mean, you've been looking for three or four years. And just, in our area, they're not even taking any new patients. Right. Well, our next guest is going to discuss the results of the survey, as well as how these results seem to be the problems that not only pet owners have in Colorado, but pet owners, through, pet owners throughout the country are experiencing. Well, veterinarian Dr. April Steele is the president and CEO of the Dumb Friends League in Denver, Colorado. After practicing veterinary medicine for 18 years, she had the honor of joining the league to advocate for animals and those who are vulnerable due to homelessness, mistreatment, or the owner's financial situation. She is the past president of the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association, Denver Area Veterinary Medical Association, the American Association of Feline Practitioners, and the Animal Assistance Foundation. Now, this one I didn't know. Go ahead, read it. April is a veteran of the U.S. Army Veterinary Corps. We thank her for serving our country. Thank you. So greeting, April, and welcome back to the Pet Buzz. Thank you for inviting me. It's so good to be here. It is. I'm so happy you're here, Dr. Steele. Dr. Steele, how are pet parents being affected by the high cost of veterinary care in the state of Colorado? So it's interesting in our survey, we found that many pet parents are being impacted by this high cost of veterinary care. And I think your listeners probably already know this, but pet parents are really distressed. In the survey, we found out that over more than 25% of pet owners reported they did not even seek care for a sick or injured pet because they knew they would not be able to afford it. And, you know, at the Dumb Friends League, we have a subsidized veterinary hospital, which is only for people that cannot afford care, and it's urgent situations. And by 7.30 a.m., almost every single day, we have to start turning people away because we just don't have enough of the resource. So how is the shortage of veterinarians affecting pet parents, animals, and others in your state? It seems like the two go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the veterinary shortage has led to pet parents not being able to get their pets into the veterinarian, even when they can afford it. Because like you just said, a lot of veterinary hospitals are not accepting new clients. So um, they're, they're really struggling. And then emergency visits often require a six plus hour wait for them to get in. Specialists are becoming less and less available. So serious conditions like heart failure. And I had a, a, a friend with a cat with a foreign body in her eye had to wait two weeks to get a foreign body out of an eye. Um, so as you can imagine, it's really serious. Um, and the longer pets wait, the sicker they get. A bladder infection can become a kidney infection. A small cancer skin mask can become difficult, if not impossible to remove. Dental disease can cause severe pain and body-wide infection. The list is sadly very, very endless. You know, it's funny, but with Dr. Still saying this, and this is just like a little tiny sidebar. I don't know if you remember the one of the last times we had Mark Cushing on. Uh, Mark Cushing is a veterinary consultant. And we were talking about this in conjunction with possible new vet schools coming. But because people can't get in to see a vet, the sidebar is that maybe even the folks who can afford it might not want to adopt or purchase another dog because they can't get the dog they have. So that in the long term is going to affect adoption rates as well as other dogs. Yeah, the, the tentacles are endless. What we are most concerned about from an animal welfare point of view is the suffering that it creates in animals and pets. You had a comment, Dr. Fleck. People don't recognize how frustrating it is to the veterinary practitioner. I mean, we want to do the best job that we can but we're just overburdened way beyond what I could have ever thought of. And of course, it all started during COVID. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with veterinarian Dr. April Steele, president of the Dumb Friends League and spokesperson for the Colorado's The Vet Care Coalition. So glad that she's here. So, Dr. April, what is Colorado's The Vet Care Coalition and what is the organization proposing to help pet parents animals and others in your state? So the Vet Care Coalition, and I will say it, it right now is a Colorado initiative, but we're hoping it'll be a nationwide initiative. Um, so anyone that wants to jump on the bandwagon, the invitation is there. The Vet Care Coalition is a group of concerned people. It, it's from animal welfare advocates to veterinarians, to ranchers, to pet owners. And we are proposing increasing access to veterinary care through two things. One is telemedicine, and the other is through the creation of what we're calling a veterinary professional associate. So is there precedent in human medicine for using the veterinary PA? Yeah, so the veterinary professional associate is very much like a physician's assistant in human medicine. This person would work hand in hand with the veterinarian under direct supervision in most situations, although in sometimes in very rural areas where we have shortage areas of veterinarians, that might be an indirect supervision just because there's no veterinarian to supervise directly. And they do what's delegated to them. So they're not going to go have their own business and compete against a veterinarian, but they're going to be an extension of that veterinarian to be able to diagnose, prescribe, do minor surgeries like mass removals and lacerations and dentistries as that veterinarian is wanting to delegate to them. But it will increase our veterinary workforce significantly. Has I'm just curious, has the AVMA come on board? So no, um, the AVMA is very concerned about the practice of veterinary medicine, and uh, that's why we're asking pet owners and other voices to be heard in this conversation. So we need to take a commercial break and be back with veterinarian Dr. April Steele in our next segment. <laughs> 
Also up next is Celebrity Pet Buzz and Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzz. Worthy freebies. Visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, we are continuing our discussion with Dr. April Steele talking about the vet care problems in the state of Colorado. But Dr. Steele's Colorado problems are really the nation's veterinary and pet owner problems. Um, can you please explain? Yeah, so you already heard a little bit about that. The um, shortage is nationwide and it's super challenging. It's in private practices. Um, there are veterinarians that have tried for a decade to find someone to take over their practice and, and they just, or even just to hire as an associate and they can't. So please, please, please be kind to your veterinarians. They're doing their very best and they're seeing everyone that they possibly can see. But this is a mental health issue for veterinarians as well. When you try to, you know, we're compassionate perfectionists. We want to take care of everyone that comes into us and we care about them so deeply. And when we can't see someone we've known for years because we don't have enough people, it's really, really challenging. But emergency clinics are shutting down across the country because they're being very hard to staff. I know for a while in San Francisco, there wasn't a single emergency hospital open, not one in the entire city of San Francisco. Now there's some intermittent availability. Specialists are very hard to get into, and specialists are one of the segments of veterinary medicine that's been particularly impacted by this. So yeah, it's across the entire country. There's an estimate from Mars um, Healthcare that 75 million animals are going to go without care in the next seven years just because we don't have enough veterinarians to provide it. And that's the animal welfare issue that we're really concerned about. And from my understanding from the manpower issue, it's going to be at least five years before we're going to begin to fill that necessary manpower situation. So what can pet owners take away from this interview? Pet owners need to understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And if we change nothing, it's not going to get better. That your pets need support. Your veterinarians need support. Our society no longer will say that pet ownership is only for the privileged. And if we're going to allow pets to be in different households, we have to make sure we can care for that animal. So we have to be able to care for the animals that are owned by people that can afford their care and can't get in. And we have to care for the animals that need some subsidized care, too. And without significant increase in the workforce, we're not going to be able to do either. Extremely frustrating. So, Dr. Steele, thank you for joining us today. Before you go, can you give us a website where we can learn more? Yes, vetcarecoalition.com. Well, just to remind you, Dr. Fleck and I were talking with veterinarian Dr. April Steele about the Colorado's, the Vet Care Coalition and its proposed pet care legislation, which will help pet owners find affordable and more access to vet care, as well as alleviate the veterinary care shortage and workforce burnout rate among Colorado populations of veterinarians. Time to talk about celebrities and their pets. And now, the latest news about celebrities and their pets. It's obsession. Aren't they cute? What's the name? What's the name? 
Bobby Flay is an American celebrity chef, restaurateur, and reality TV personality. I'm sure you've seen him. You know, he's worked with the Food Network since 1995, which won him four Daytime Emmy Awards and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But lately, he is known... He's a growing reputation in the pet space for his cat food made by Nacho, a cat crafted food. Flay has two cats, Nacho and Stella. But recently he added a doggo to his family as a birthday present. Flay bought his girlfriend, writer Christina Perez, a cute Pomeranian named Allspice. I am assuming that's because of the color of the dog. Well, Perez's older Pomeranian died a few months prior and Perez wrote on Instagram about the addition to the family that this dog is just a couple of months old and weighs just a couple of pounds, but man, he is a charmer. And just so you know, Flay came up with the name Allspice. She further wrote that Flay did a stellar job on all accounts. So welcome home, Allspice. All I can say is we hope that Stella and Nacho love him too, because they're probably bigger than little Allspice. Up next, Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. So, Doc, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about taking care of senior dogs. You know, senior dogs have different care requirements than those of the younger dogs. So, Dr. Fleck, how do you know that your dog is a senior dog? It, it kind of really depends upon the individual dog. In general, giant breed dogs are faster than smaller breed dogs. You mean they age faster? The age faster, yeah. yeah. Okay. Great Danes are considered to be senior roughly between five and six years of age whereas a chihuahua would likely only be middle-aged by that time and probably not considered to be a senior until at least 10 or 11 years of age. But you must remember genetics, nutrition, environment, and people's involvement with their pet, all of these play a role in how fast your dog ages. So what do you want us to think about when caring for senior dogs? What I see every day, I have a traditional practice, so I have a lot of senior pets come into the practice, and I compare that to the new suburb practices where they have new homes coming in, new families, young families, have younger pets, etc. So I see, it's not unusual for me to see a 20-year-old cat every week. It's not unusual for me to see 14 to 15-year-old pets every day. So consequently, I've got a pretty good handle on what the senior pet really does in its involvement and it's really important and i want to make emphasize this it's really important how the pet parent is involved with that pet as to how it so what do you mean by that how it has to develops its health pay attention pay attention to your pet make sure that you're giving a good nutritional needs make sure that you're playing with it we're I know we're going to have a, a segment on exercise. Make sure that they're spending time exercising with their pet, which is good for the for the health of the of the person too. And monitor this. Many things happens. For example, I had somebody come in the other day with a twenty year pet, and her concern was it was a cat, and it was meowing all night. That's part of dementia. Just think of what it is with your parents, with your grandparents, with older friends that you have and the change. Just think of yourself. You see the slowdown, you know, and I think that's a really good point because it's the observation so that you can 
I guess, change your behavior. I'll, I'll give you an example and tell me if I'm on yes. the right track. Yes. So, you know, I am, you know, grew up in New York, um, in the suburbs and also as well as New York City. I walk really fast. I mean, you know, I walk really yes. fast. I could leave you in the dust yes, when we'd can. walk. So I have, you know, Mara is, is much older now. And um, I have to remember when I start out, I have to walk slower when I walk him because he is an older dog. Sometimes I'm like, and then I realize, you know, he stops and I'm like, oh, I'm walking too fast. So I really need to, when I leave the house and close the door, I need to just walk slower. Think of this in terms of when we have our families and we have our kids, we're so involved with them, soccer practice. We forget even while they're growing up to pay attention. Well, the same thing can happen with our pets. We must be dedicated to spending some time and paying attention to the, our pets because the health of the pet is like the health of our kids. And we need to we need to pay attention and evolve with them and help them mature in age just like we do with our parents, our grandparents, and older friends. I think this was a really great segment because I think that's really part of the pet care experience is paying attention and noticing these signs because let's face it, pets age um, faster than we do. And just the fact that you brought in the large breeds and the small breeds. And quite honestly, what happens is, is that people come in with the pet at 12, 13 years of age with all these changes and they haven't been paying attention and they're so concerned, they may even feel guilty about themselves. But so try to pay attention as we go along. I think this is a great segment. It, it makes you focus and it makes you force yourself to be more aware. Anything else, Dr. Flex? That's all the Flex facts for today. Well, like I said, that was great reporting. Um, something for us all to think about. Up next, I bet you can't wait for the I Likey of the Week. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to The Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Let's kick off this segment with the I Likey of the Week. It's genius. It's to die for. So how do pet parents monitor their pets' activities? Consider Tractive GPS, one of the most trusted waterproof pet GPS trackers, which gives you live location updates of your pet straight to your phone. It goes straight to your phone, no matter where you are in the world. Use it like, also use it like a Fitbit to monitor or to track their activity and their sleep. Plus, it has a virtual fence option. Best part, I like the price and you will too. It's $49.99 on Amazon or Tractive.com. Plans start at just $5 a month. Use four activation codes, which I'm going to list on our social media channels, for one-year premium subscriptions. I'll also post instructions on how to activate the device with the posted codes. 
So use the code good morning as a special $10 off code. So what are you waiting for? Start tracking your pet and monitoring his fitness activity. My dog Wally has been wearing one for our canine fitness tour, and he will continue to do so for his health and safety. And so will his brothers, Morrow, Hammy Jones, and Churchill. The Tractive GPS has great features at a great price. Now we need to bring on our next guest, Char. You want to introduce the next segment? Sure. Well, scientific research continues to demonstrate the positive impact of the animal-human bond, the mutually beneficial relationship between pets and their people on our collective health and wellness. Pets have been shown to alleviate stress, improve physical activity, heart health, provide social support, and even create more connected communities. As the role of pets has become more central in people's lives, and as research supporting pets for healthier lifestyles build, the demand for a more pet-friendly society where pets are welcome in schools and hospitals, workplaces, and most importantly, where we live is increasing. And joining us on the Pet Bus today is Steve Feldman, the president of the Human Animal Bond Research Institute H-A-B-R-I. Hobbery. Hobbery. His mission is to advance the science that demonstrates the positive roles that pets and other animals play in the integrated health of individuals, families, and communities. Steve, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. So, Steve, um, Hobbery and... Um... Michelson found animals. Michelson Found Animal Foundation commissioned a survey about renters and property managers to gain an accurate understanding of the state of pet-friendly housing. Talk to us about um, what the survey revealed. Uh, I sure will. First of all, I think you gave a great summary on the human-animal bond, and um, and I really appreciate how the bond is what the pet buzz is all about. And so, of course, we want to have pets with us. Uh, where we work and where we live. And there wasn't a lot of data on pets and housing. So we did this big survey. We talked both to the people who live in uh, rental housing and we talked to the property managers and owners because we wanted both perspectives. And what we learned was this, that property managers and owners think they're being pet friendly. They say they're pet friendly, but when you look at the restrictions on pets and housing, there are quite a few. And meanwhile, when we talked to the renters, what they said was, first of all, they would sacrifice location. They would sacrifice the number of bedrooms. They would sacrifice all kinds of things just to find a good place to be with their pet, which, of course, is, is part of their family. And that pet-friendly housing was, was too hard to find and that it was too expensive. And, you know, it's interesting that Steve brought that up, that there's not a lot of research or information uh, up until the survey. But when you start to look, what you do find is overall demographics, like, you know, we know in San Francisco, you know, the, one of the tech capitals of the world, you know, in that area, there it's hard to find pet-friendly housing in San Francisco. So when you start looking, you have to look at individual locations. There's no one comprehensive list that you can really go to, which makes it really hard to get all that information, correct? That's right. Uh, people have to have to look really hard. And then when they find a unit, they have to go through all kinds of hoops. They have to make sure that they're 
that their pet uh, has health records. They have to sometimes even provide recommendations uh, from their veterinarian or from a previous landlord. They have to do all kinds of things to make sure that their pet can be accepted into that housing. And then they have to pay pet fees and pet rents, um, and it can add up. So what are some of the common problems that renters are up against? Well, really, it's um, it's restrictions. So some allow dogs, but not cats. Some allow cats, but not dogs. The biggest and most common restriction is weight. Sometimes an apartment building will say 30 pounds. And, you know, more than half the dogs weigh more than 30 pounds. And so there's a lot of big dogs that just wouldn't be eligible. And of course, breed is, is another restriction that we'll often see. Breed discrimination, meaning no pit bulls, no Dobermans, none of the dogs that they believe are associated with dangerous inherent mm -hmm. characteristics. Mm -hmm. And of course, weight is is not um, a reasonable restriction either. You can get plenty of lazy Great Danes that it would do fine in an apartment, and then plenty of energetic Jack Russells that would that wouldn't. It, it really is a matter of educating people uh, about what our survey found and about how pets really do help communities and are actually more profitable for the housing providers. Great point. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Steve Feldman, the president of the Human Animal Bond Research Institute about the state of pet friendly housing. Such an important topic as housing prices continue to rise. So, I mean, with four dogs, I'm lucky I found pet housing. So if more pet-friendly housing was available, how would that impact the national rates of adoption or maybe acquisition of more pets? Charlotte, I'm so glad you asked that question because this is the real shocker. About one-third of people who have pets in rental housing said they'd get a, a second or a third pet. And about a third of renters who don't have a pet say that they would get a pet. So if restrictions were lifted and these folks were able to get the pets they wanted, we could make homes for 8 million more pets across this country. Isn't that amazing? I mean, imagine how that will affect adoption and shelter pets. Mm -hmm. It's like unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. So doesn't offering more pet-friendly housing make more dollars and cents for property owners, management companies, and rental agents, and maybe others? Well, that's the case we're trying to make. Um, what we found was um, that people with pets stay longer. And first of all, and of course, they're willing to pay the price for that. Um, and that rental units that are pet friendly rent faster. So an empty unit doesn't make the property manager, property owner any money. And when you stay longer, that provides a more stable source of income for the housing provider. So we can make an economic case that pet friendly housing is good for everyone. You know, and it's actually interesting because some of the reasons that people don't want to have pet friendly apartment complexes is they say people don't pick up after their dog. But you know what? I mean, it's Tennessee has been really leading the way in DNA testing of poop in these type of atmospheres, because one of the first companies that did the DNA testing of the poop is in Tennessee and started selling the service to companies, you know, apartment complexes in Tennessee. I mean, that's one way to do it. I mean, imagine if someone from the staff has to pick it up, you DNA tested immediately and that person you know is gets a, a free 
get out of jail card once. And then they have to pay like $150 if they don't clean it up. I mean, or you try the best that you can to clean it up. But I mean, there's so many things that you can do. I mean, there's money to be made in, in, in housing. So you know what? To be honest with you, I don't think dogs cause any more damage than people do. And plus, coupled with the fact that things are so expensive these days and management companies are putting in really cheap tile and flooring and other stuff you know come on wake up management companies get on the bandwagon i mean i'm sure a lot of these people have pets right steve well that's true it turns out that the human animal bond the love of pets is the common ground the people who are offering housing have pets just as much as anyone and they love them just as much as anybody so if we start with that that we all love pets that they really do help bring us together that's where we start and then, you know, there are many housing providers that are embracing this, right? They have dog washing stations and dog parks, and they put out the poop bags for everybody who lives there. So there's a way to really be pet inclusive. That's why we called it the Pet Inclusive Housing Initiative. Um, you can go to petsandhousing.org, by the way, to see the results of the survey, because being pet inclusive really means loving and embracing pets where we live. Well, we need to take a commercial break and come back with Steve Feldman, president of Hobry. Also coming up in our next segment, Global Pet News and Tell Me Something Good. Does your pet have dry, flaky and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud sponsor of the Pet Buzz. I'm petrodologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. Well, we're back with Havery Steve Feldman discussing the commission survey of Havery and the Michelson Found Animals Foundation, which focuses on renters and understanding of the state of pet-friendly rental housing. Dr. Fleck, you had a question. Yeah, Steve, what? What resources do you offer for property owners, management companies on your website? If you go to that website, um, there's good resources for renters and there's good resources for property owners and managers. There's good checklists about how to be pet friendly, about how to be pet inclusive. We want to try and make it as easy as possible for everybody to do the right thing. I think that's great. I mean, people need this kind of information. Managers need this information. Well, managers and and renters need this kind of information. Okay. well, you know, lastly, we recently had um, Ohio State University doctoral candidate Nicolo Pinchak on the show. And and one of his recent studies, I think you'll find interesting if you don't know about it. He discussed that neighbors with pets coupled with the fact that neighbors have to be trusting residents of each other produces less crime. So I think that coupled with studies that reveal that neighbors with pets have a tendency to know each other. uh, And that was an Australian study that pets reduce stress. That was really a University of Buffalo study contribute to the mobility of seniors and contribute to mental and physical 
overall health and wellness. So we just want to say, Steve, we just applaud. We You do so much, but we thought this was such a great study that you partnered up. Um, and it's so appropriate because, you know, we talk about enhancing the bond between That's people and pets. Mission. That's our mission. But, you know, it's it just trickles down, whether it's financially or whether it's taking a trip in so many ways. So um, we just thought the housing study was just great, great stuff. So thank you for giving us something really good to talk about today. Pets are a force for good. The pet buzz is a force for good. And I'm so happy to be uh, part of the conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Can you give us your website where we can learn more? You can go to habri, H-A-B-R-I.org, and we hope you'll visit and learn more about the human-animal bond. Great. Well, just to remind you, that was Steve Feldman, the president of the Human-Animal Bond Research Institute. That's Habri discussing the importance of pet-friendly housing. We've got mail. You've got mail. Well, this week's question is for you, Dr. Flat. Oh, good. Amber writes from Macon, Georgia. She wants to know how much exercise does her pet need? Hmm. Well, you know, exercise helps people bond with their pets, aids in the pet's weight loss, and curbs behavioral issues such as furniture scratching or trash rummaging. You know, and although pets need daily exercise, professionals agree that the amount varies by pet's age, breed, and its medical history. So puppies that get short bursts of energy throughout the day, known as the zoomies. I love the zoomies. Need several daily play sessions or short walks to tucker them out, which is safer than one long session on their growing bodies. Large breed dogs, though, living in the city, should be walked two or three times a day in addition to engaging in regular play. But sedentary adult dogs, especially older ones and or others with mobility issues, may need less physical stimulation. And we can't forget about short-nosed dogs such as bulldogs as they have respiratory issues that make exercise difficult. So short walks are better for them, especially in the warmer weather. I want to mention too about cats. Many indoor cats need about 30 minutes of play every day. Here I say 30 minutes every day, divided into at least a couple sessions. Large cats like Maine Coons may enjoy cat-sized hamster wheels, although any exercise tool will do. Fishing pole toys with feathers, crinkle balls, and puzzle feeders should do the trick if your cat isn't trained to leash walk. Oh, I love that leash walk. Yes. I encourage you all to talk to your veterinary because he or she can offer an exercise regimen appropriate for your pet, as well as warning signs of overexertion so you know when it's time for a cool down. They may also refer you to an accredited animal behaviorist or trainer for further insights into your pet's ideal activity level and how to manage behavioral issues. I'm talking the tiniest of pet dogs in global pet news. And now, pet buzz news from around the globe. 
You know, Pearl is no ordinary dog. She's so tiny, her owner can slip her into her pocket. Well, born in Florida on September 1st, 2020, Pearl is shorter than a popsicle stick at just 3.59 inches tall. She is five inches long, around the same size as a dollar bill, and weighs a tiny 1.22 pounds, a huge gain on less than one ounce that she weighed at birth. The two-year-old Chihuahua has been named the world's shortest dog by the Guinness Book of World Records. You know, Pearl is related to a previous record holder, which is Miracle Minnie, who measured 3.8 inches tall. She died in 2020 before Pearl was born. Pearl's mother is one of Millie's litter mates, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Her owner, Vanessa Semler, who was also the owner of Miracle Millie, told the Guinness Book of World Records, we're blessed to have her and to have this unique opportunity to break our own record and share with the world this amazing news. Well, when she came down to describing her, she said, her pet is like a small like ball, slightly taller than a teacup. Semler says Pearl is accustomed to high quality diet of chicken and salmon. She also tells us that Pearl loves dressing up nice. We have lots of fun together, she said, adding that her adult dog is still a child at heart. That's a lovely story. Tiny little Pearl. But I have to tell you, Pearl already has a challenge and it's from a celebrity. I'll tell you about that next week. As I always say, let's end our show on a good note. And please. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Well, I found this article on SheThePeople.tv. The article was written to celebrate National Dog Day, which is held on April 11th. This online piece highlights how dogs change the lives of five different dog moms. And I wanted to share what one dog mom wrote. It's beautiful. She wrote, I'm a single woman in my 40s. My parents are no more. And if there is one thing that really adds meaning to my life, it's my five adorable fur babies. They sense my emotions and make sure I never feel sad or alone. I've grown up with dogs and I honestly don't know how I could have survived all the challenges that life has thrown at me if not for them. I have to say it's beautiful. Um, and sometimes I feel the same way. So all I have to say is now that's something good. Well, it's time. Yes, indeedy. It is time. You hear those chimes again? I know. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're talking about the 149th Kentucky Derby. We have a great lineup of guests. Darren Rogers, communications director for Churchill Downs, who will talk about the excitement that's happening at Churchill Downs for the next week or so. Uh, We also have Travis Stone. He is the Churchill Downs track announcer who will give us a play-by-play of the race on May 6th. So that's going to be really exciting. He gives us a little sampling of his style. Uh, Steve Haskett, our favorite racing journalist, giving us a review of the contenders. And Christine Moore, our favorite Milner, talking about hat fashion. Ah, 
going to be so exciting. Really so is. much is going on, mm-hmm. uh, really. Dr. Fleck, will you thank our, our special guests? Yeah, special thanks to our guest veterinarian April Steele and Steve Feldman. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have a question, write to us at team at the pet We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels, as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the pet buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.